Amela Ana Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. Tech conferences are a place where we can learn about the industry trends and projects that people at other companies are working on. We can also go there to speak about our own experiences. In this episode, Michelle Nurali explains how tech conferences are structured and gives tips on talk submissions. We talked about KubeCon, the largest Kubernetes conference in the world. Michelle is co-chair of this conference, and she explained the process of creating an interesting agenda and how talk submissions are evaluated. Michelle is also a senior software engineer at Microsoft. To learn more about the topics of the show, sign up for the monthly newsletter by going to thewomenintechshow.com. Thank you for listening. Michelle Nurali, Senior Engineer at Microsoft and Co-Chair of the largest Kubernetes conference in the world, is joining us today. Michelle, welcome to the Women in Tech Show. Thank you so much for having me. We did a show about Kubernetes earlier and how it was used to scale Pokemon Go. Since you're going to be co-chair of the largest Kubernetes conference, for those that are not familiar with it, can you give a quick overview of what Kubernetes is? Yeah, sure. Uh, so Kubernetes is an open source cluster management system. Uh, it was originally open sourced or built and open sourced by Google. And then it was donated to the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. Lots of different companies work on it. It is used to manage your infrastructure. And so it's an abstraction layer on top of your infrastructure that helps you build and deploy distributed applications more reliably in the cloud and on bare metal. And just to be clear, it started at Google and Google is still part of it, right? They contribute to the code and things like that. Very much so. Yeah. And today's topic is mainly going to be focused on tech conferences, particularly KubeCon, the Kubernetes conference. Can you explain what this conference is about? Sure. Yeah. So KubeCon has uh, been going on for a few years now. It is the primary place to get together with both people who use Kubernetes as well as people who work on Kubernetes um, and are in the Kubernetes ecosystem. Uh, there will be lots of talks on Kubernetes, and it'll just be a really interesting place to get together with the community and and talk about latest trends and go into deep dives on certain sections of the space. Uh, Kubernetes is a really interesting piece of technology. And so there's going to be a lot to talk about uh, and a lot of people to meet. The hallway track is always very popular as well. What's the hallway track? So the hallway track is what we refer to as the sponsor area. Lots of people choose to stay in that area to just meet people, um, talk to sponsors, people who have booths, uh, or just get together and meet very quickly with uh, with folks in the community. I'll be there in the sponsor section. Oh, that's just, awesome. Yeah. And you mentioned the people that go, they use Kubernetes in the ecosystem and things like that. Do people that are not current users of Kubernetes also attend? Yeah. So there's two different types of people I see. Some people who haven't used Kubernetes, but are interested in Kubernetes and this space and just want to learn more about it. Um, there will be a beginner track for, for them. 
And then there's also people who are using other scheduling systems who kind of want to come and understand what the differences are and kind of what this community looks and feels like and what's going on here. Do you know about how big this conference is? Like how many attendees are going to be? It'll be the biggest it's ever been, which Mm -hmm. is over 3,000 people. Um, So somewhere around 3,500 is what I believe. Let's talk about your work as co-chair. What are some of the things that you are in charge of? So Kelsey Hightower and I are both co-chairs of KubeCon this year, and we are in charge of the content that is going to be talked about in this conference. So all of the talks, the keynotes, and kind of what the schedule looks and feels like is what our primary responsibility is. Um, We're also trying to make sure that we have a community feel and that all of our speakers are comfortable and our community is kind of getting what they need out of this conference. Yes, and that's a really important thing, especially the content of the talks. I've been to several conferences and you can always tell when people really took the time to talk about the topics that are trending or that people are really want to know about. So I'm curious about the process of you and Kelsey for determining what would be the best content for the conferences. Is it sort of data-driven or something like that? Yeah, so we actually rely on a very large program committee. Kelsey and I have both been in this space for a while, but we want to make sure that we have lots of different perspectives when we're creating and curating the content for the conference. And so we asked several different people from the community, people we agree with, people we don't always agree with, um, just to get lots of different perspectives in one place. Okay. And then they each get a set of CFPs, uh, call for proposals uh, to review. Mm -hmm. They then give us their feedback. And then we go through all of the scores and the averages that each paper got regardless of what, what the score is, we review every single one and then place them in tracks. So before the review process happens, the way that Kelsey and I kick off the conference planning is that we talk about what we're interested in, what we've been seeing since we're really involved in the community and all of that. Yeah. And so we kind of have a set of ideas of what we want this conference to look and feel like. So we'll pick the tracks, we'll pick the, we'll kind of uh, do an outline or sketch of the agenda. Mm-hmm. And then we go create the program committee, do the entire CFP process. We have lots of help from the events team um, from the Cloud Native Computing Foundation to help us with the actual logistical part of getting the CFPs and all. And after all the program committee uh, reviewers have reviewed the CFPs, uh, we'll go back together. We will review all the talks and place them in tracks. And sometimes the tracks that we thought were going to be great uh, didn't get a lot of content or some new ideas and all of that will kind of flare up. And so we'll then adjust the tracks as we see fit. Because the ideas for the track can come from the call for proposals themselves, right? Yeah, exactly. And so we saw a lot of, for example, continuous integration and deployment topics. And so we we weren't originally going to have an entire track on that. But since there were so many talks submitted, there was definitely more than enough content and people seemed to be very interested in that topic. And so we went ahead and added that as a track. Well, I really like the part that you mentioned that you and Kelsey make sure you're building this core team of people with different perspectives, even if you don't agree with all of them, just to have a more unique conference and bring 
perspectives that you don't have. Yeah. So that's a really good way of approaching this. Let's talk more about submitting a proposal for a talk. You mentioned you saw a lot of proposals for continuous integration. What are other examples of talks given at KubeCon. Yeah, there's several 101 track talks. And what I mean by that is um, lots of beginner tracks. Uh, oh, sorry, excuse me, lots of beginner talks in the beginner track, um, which we call Kubernetes 101. That was one example. Lots of people are very interested in uh, talking about policy and security in Kubernetes. So how do you secure your cluster? How do you talk to your security team about Kubernetes? What kinds of, we call it uh, role-based access control, RBAC uh, is the term for it, to enforce policies? So how does that work in Kubernetes is a big topic. How do services communicate to each other securely in your cluster? Um, so these are things that came up in the talks while we were looking through them. The other thing I'm curious about is who should consider submitting a talk? That's a great question. Yeah. Because, you know, as someone who is in the field and wants to submit a talk, you can sometimes think, oh, like, should I be submitting a talk? And I think if you think that, I think you should, because we're trying to get lots of different perspectives. So a lot of the people that are speaking at KubeCon are first-time speakers or really new to the community. We encourage people who are new to the community to come and share their perspective. There are also lots of people who are very experienced with Kubernetes and work on Kubernetes itself in the development space. And so they're working on the APIs and the core controllers and that kind of thing. And what's really interesting in this space now is that there's a lot more people who are coming forth who have been saying, I've been using Kubernetes in production and I'd like to share my story. So there are lots of people who aren't necessarily involved in the development of Kubernetes, but are just using Kubernetes, not just, but are using Kubernetes in production, which is awesome yeah. and want to come and share their stories and just maybe not their whole story, but maybe like a section of their story. So maybe they'll focus on security or maybe they'll focus on uh, the way that they brought Kubernetes to their company, or maybe they'll focus on how their development teams work with Kubernetes and what challenges they faced, or they'll set, they'll talk about their cluster setup. And so there's a lot of really interesting use cases that are coming in. There's a lot of different data science and machine learning stories that are going to be presented at KubeCon, which, you know, I am like very excited about the more like futuristic things. And so I didn't realize that there were so many people doing very, very cool things with Kubernetes in the data science and machine learning space. And so it was really nice to see those in the CFPs as well. And I really like those talks. Some of the examples that you mentioned is migration stories mm -hmm. or things that went bad and yeah. how they recovered. Those are always really interesting. Yeah. And there's so much to learn from those, you know, just uh, like I love those talks because at the end I can do some Q&A with the speaker and just go and talk to them about my specific questions as well. Yeah, exactly. Is there a particular structure for a proposal for a talk? Yes. Yeah, so um, generally uh, you give us some information about yourself. There's a place for you to submit a title. A uh, title should be uh, succinct and really give us an, a very clear idea of what you're talking about. Sometimes people get a little abstract with their title talks. And I think 
it's best to keep it really close to what the subject matter is. Mm -hmm. And then there's the abstract, which is a summary of your talk. So this is something that we will also publish publicly to give the attendees an idea of what you're going to be speaking on. And then there's a section about uh, you know, why you think that this topic is important for the community here. And that's kind of um, someone's chance to tell us, you know, why they feel that this subject area is important because, you know, we're all learning. This is a new space and we're all kind of growing together. And so maybe something that doesn't come first to mind to us comes first to mind and is really important to someone else. Mm-hmm. And we want to hear that story and why it's important to someone when we're reviewing these talks. So you mentioned that the title is important and then sometimes the titles are abstract and not that good. Do you have an example, even if you just make it up right now, of what a bad title would sound like? Maybe it's not bad necessarily, but it's just not clear. If you say like unicorns and puppies and Kubernetes, you know, I don't really know exactly what that means, but it's really, it gets, it gets my attention. So I think some people are focused on getting people's attention when, you know, someone's looking in the schedule and sometimes that doesn't work as, you know, as expected. Yeah. Like Kubernetes, the unicorns of the cloud or something like that would be, I see. But a common title that I see is And not specifically in this, but I've seen it in other conferences, but it would be like Kubernetes, the good, the bad, and the ugly, or something like that. I don't know. That's a little more clear because you can at least like, you know, see, okay, well, we're going to maybe hear some more stories, which is really good. Yeah. Or pros and cons and things like that. Yeah. Once you start getting those proposals, what is the review committee looking at when evaluating them? That's a really good question. Yeah. We tell them to give it a score of like one to five. And it's kind of based on would they attend? Do they think that this topic is important? And, you know, do they feel that this, you know, speaker is the right person to talk about this topic? So they have to do some due diligence and research themselves. And a lot of the times we'll like, together with the program community, probably have heard of the speaker or know the speaker. If you don't know the speaker, um, at least if I don't know the speaker, I'll go ahead and do some research and some Googling and see if they have some previous talks. So Mm -hmm. we just want to make sure that's a thing. We'll also look at, you know, if the candidate is of a community that is underrepresented. We don't have a particular score for that. We just take a look at that as well to kind of weigh that into our one to five scale. And this is also why... Like you mentioned earlier, it's important to have a, I don't want to say diverse, but sort of a mixed set of people in the review committee, because you don't want to just have experts looking at these proposals because they might dismiss the beginner track talks. Exactly. We've been talking about KubeCon, the Kubernetes specific conference. What are in general different types of technical conferences that you've seen? Yeah, so there's definitely language-specific ones, right? So we have RailsConf and PyConf and the Go conference. React, maybe? Yeah. Okay. And so there's definitely language and framework-specific ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really like those because they're, I think, the most tangible for me. I can take some tips and tricks back to my workplace and immediately apply them. So they're the most practical in my space. There's also ones that talk about patterns. So like types of software architectures, there's uh, DevOps days, which talks about, you know, the DevOps space. 
I've been learning a lot about that in Kubernetes. And yeah, there's lots of different ones that I've seen. VelociConf, which is the systems engineering conference that happens in, I believe, three different cities every year. That one I just attended in New York. It was really good. Uh, I think that's uh, put on by O'Reilly. So it was very good. Lots of different types of content in terms of they were talking about software patterns, software architectures, containers, uh, and, and lots of different things. So yeah, that's another example of one. Do you have a favorite conference? Yeah, I was actually at that one, Velocity, in New York, but last year. Oh, nice. And yeah, I like the whole web performance talks. Yeah. They, they also have a focus on that. And like you mentioned, O'Reilly also has more general conferences, like they would just call it artificial intelligence. So it leaves things pretty open, I think, for when it comes to proposals, I imagine. Yeah. If they keep it general. Yeah. And do technical conferences typically have career fairs or product fairs? Yeah, I've actually seen that people have job boards at tech conferences. So the conference will just have a place where any company who's hiring can then go and post their position. Lots of people at the booth, if you're looking for a job or something, um, people at the booth seem to be very friendly and open to talking about those things. And that's a great way to just get to know folks. Mm -hmm. I got my second job from an open source conference. Actually, I just met uh, two women there. Um, one was an engineer, one was a product manager at Engine Yard, which was a company I worked at. And mm-hmm. um, I just got to know them, I think just randomly, I think they mentioned that there were some job openings. And so I just chatted with them and ended up interviewing for the job that I moved for, moved to San Francisco for. That's pretty cool. So you didn't explicitly meet them at a booth where they were recruiting. It was just you were talking to them and then they just happened to mention it. Yeah, I think something that is really intimidating is just meeting people at conferences, but it is a place where people are open to meeting each other. And a lot of the times these days, conferences will give you something to put on your badge to note that you're open to conversation or you're not open to conversation. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, at the Linux Foundation conferences, they put on several conferences every year, um, they will have like a green circular sticker that you can put to note that you're open to conversation. And if someone has that sticker, you know, and I'm just got some extrovert energy, I usually just go up to people and talk to them. And and that used to be really difficult for me earlier on. Well, you're sort of mentioning takeaways from attendees. You can connect with people, maybe even get a job to motivate people to submit a talk and speak at tech conferences. Can you talk about some of the takeaways from speakers? Yeah, I think as someone who's spoken before, I think some of the takeaways I can talk about are the fact that it's just really nice to form the story that you want to talk about. And then after you've presented it, you kind of realize that other people have similar problems or maybe in a similar situation. And it's really nice to have people come up to you after and be like, hey, thanks for your talk. You know, I was in the same situation, kind of tell you about that or ask you questions and make you think of situations that you hadn't thought of before. I think that's also a really cool takeaway. And it's just really nice to network. It's great for your career to speak at these tech conferences. I think you show that you're interested in your area and that you're not only willing to work on engineering issues that you're facing at work, but you're also willing to share your solutions. I think that's just a cool thing to be able to do. 
the other thing that I've seen is people will be giving this talk to a hundred people or maybe 200. And then in the Q and A, some people would make suggestions like, did you think about doing this or that? And then the speaker would be like, oh, that's a great idea. Like we didn't think about this. So I think also sharing your experience, especially about how you did a project and then to 200 people, you'll get more new ideas. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's another takeaway. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about your work on SIG apps. Well, I saw you co-lead SIG apps. Can you briefly explain what this is? Yeah, sure. So uh, the Kubernetes community is made up of several special interest groups. And so SIG, S-I-G, stands for special interest group. There are several SIGs, I think maybe close to 40 SIGs in the Kubernetes community. And each SIG uh, focuses on a particular area of the code base or a particular area that they're just generally interested in. And so um, SIG Apps focuses on running and managing applications in Kubernetes. And so this has to do with not only some development in Kubernetes that relate to deploying applications, but it also has to do with uh, the tooling in Kubernetes that folks can use to deploy and manage applications. Mm -hmm. And so we've just basically, I think it was maybe a a little over a year and a half ago when a few of us kind of got together and we were like, we'd like to maybe submit feedback to the people who are developing these features that are really related to the app space. Mm -hmm. And we'd also like a place to kind of share our common patterns, best practices, and the tools that we're using. And I was actually working on building a tool at that time. It's called Helm. Uh, Helm is a package manager for Kubernetes and is focused on making it easier to manage applications and package applications for Kubernetes. And so it fit in with what we were doing and we wanted a place to talk with the community. And so we created this SIG uh, and it's been a really cool experience for the last year and a half just to lead it and kind of identify patterns in the community in this particular space and get the right people in the same room to talk about it and share their ideas. We do demos of different tools. So this is a very new space and people have different problems and people have different solutions to the problems that they're running into. And so a lot of the times they'll build a new open source project and then they'll want feedback on it. And they'll also want to share it with the community. So SIGAPS is a place where you can come and do that. We have demos every week of new tools or existing tools. We have stand-ups. So if you're building a tool in the space and you just want to give the community regular stand-ups and updates on what you're doing, you can do that in SIGAPS. Mm-hmm. And there's also stand-ups from the Kubernetes apps team. So the API that focuses on the objects that are most related to deploying apps, those folks will come to our SIG as well. They'll share what they're working on, any bugs they're fixing, new ideas that they have, feedback that they have for us, and then you know feedback that they'd like uh, to request. And so, yeah, it's just a great place for people to come together and talk about those kinds of things. Yeah. Would you say this is also a way to manage the open source projects since Kubernetes is open source, like by having these special interest groups? Yeah, that's a great thing to touch on. So yes, the Kubernetes community is very large. There are 
I think over 25,000 people in the Kubernetes Slack channel, and that's only a fraction of the people in the community. So SIGs are definitely a way to distribute and delegate responsibility. And we're still in the process of figuring out how exactly to do that. So not every SIG is the same. And we're kind of trying to figure out in the Kubernetes steering committee, which is the governance board for Kubernetes, uh, on how to actually provide a framework for SIGs and how to do the thing that you were referring to, which is how do you manage the community with SIGs? Yeah, because to people that don't know in great detail, it might seem like, oh, I have this open source project, like the community will figure it out. But it's the exact opposite. There needs to be this small or even big processes in place just to make sure everyone's aligned and control who's committing what and that whole pipeline, I think. Yeah, it's definitely very complex and and something that always gets kind of like sidelined is documentation, you know, but if you have kind of a a large community and a SIG that focuses on a particular area, then somebody else or somebody can pick up that or make sure that we have all the nuts and bolts in place, which include documentation that sometimes gets left behind. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned there's what, 20,000 people in, in Slack? Yeah, over 25,000 people. Okay, wow. So Slack really scales. I, I haven't <laughs> been in a channel that big. That's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> but if you kind of like put a message out to announce a message to the ch- entire channel, that's like thousands of people who are going to see what you've said also and can create us. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. One last thing on the KubeCon website, I saw that, well, this is something you say, that you've worked on ridiculous side projects. That's yeah. how you described it. So I'm curious, what do you mean by this ridiculous side projects? I just have really crazy, weird ideas sometimes. And so I'm always hacking on something different. They're not all super ridiculous. That's it's really interesting that you asked that. Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, I just work on fun things that I think need to be solved uh, in my spare time. Mm-hmm. I was working on a safe walking app in, while I was living in San Francisco, um, which basically uses uh, data from the government on crime and other things to figure out which one of the routes that Google gives back is the safest. And so that's one of them. And there's just a lot of half-built repos that I have (laughs) because I just work on weird things. Well, that idea is not ridiculous at all, I think. But I think by ridiculous, you mean fun. So yeah, it it sounds like a fun thing to develop or a very useful thing to be safe on the street. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much for having me. Same here. 